Everybody ready for some word today? Got your expectors turned up? Get out your Bible with me, and if you have a Bible or a Bible app, and go to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. If you're new to the Bible, it's right in the middle, and it starts with a P, even though that makes no sense. It is totally a waste of a letter. But some of you do that if, even with your own names, don't you? Have like silent H's and extra R's and... All right. See, this is a strange place. It's my fault. Uh, let's get into some word here today. Psalm 91. I've been teaching you... Uh, for several weeks now on the subject of divine protection, all right? If you missed any of the previous messages, I encourage you to go, go on the website and either listen or watch and get the previous parts to this because we live in a world that's got problems. And uh, the bottom line is God wants to keep us safe. He absolutely wants to keep every single person safe from harm, from accidents, from danger. We live in a cursed environment, though. The world is full of sin. That was not God's design. It was not His intention. It never, he never wanted it to go that way, but yet it is, and we are saved in the middle of it. I have a relationship with God right in the middle of a perverse world and perverse generation, uh, and yet I have to navigate and somehow find a way to live my life out, to live the full length of my days here on the earth. Please, God, live for Him all of my days, and I know that I'm incapable of doing so in my own effort because there are things outside of my control, all right? I'm not going to unnecessarily put myself in harm's way, but at the same time, I'm not going to live in fear either. And I don't believe the Lord wants you and I to live in fear of disease, fear of tragedy, fear of towers falling on people or, or some crazy person murdering us, right? Uh, we should live with a great joy and gladness and boldness in life knowing that our Father in heaven will protect us. But yet at the same time, we recognize that not everyone is being protected. Good, bad things do happen, quote, to good people and bad people alike, and we live in that environment, but how can we stay safe? We've been studying some of the amazing promises in Psalm 91, and, and I want to take uh, a few minutes today to look at the qualifiers of these promises. All right, we've looked at every single verse, but there are qualifiers. And so let me draw your attention to four verses. We'll read the four verses in Psalm 91 that stand out uh, to me as our part of the equation. God's part is giving His angels charge over us, keeping us safe and protecting us from all these evils. What is my part of this? All right, so let's read verse 1, Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I've got one right there. All right, there's one. Verse 2 is the second one. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and fortress. My God in Him I will trust. And so that's me. That's on me, what I say about Him. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. So that one's on me. I, I make Him that. And then verse 14. Verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has 
known my name. All right, so these four verses reveal to us our part of the protection equation. They are not, in my opinion, four things we have to do, but rather four descriptions of pretty much the same thing or the same relationship. Let me, let me summarize and say it succinctly. Dwelling in the secret place. Secondly, saying of the Lord. That's my personal faith there. Number three, making the Lord your dwelling place. And number four, setting your love upon Him. Or also in that verse is knowing His name. Okay, so those are the those are the qualifiers listed um, as far as what we must do to take advantage of God's protective hand. Yeah, something that we must do in order to keep the hedge up, if you will. I know that's kind of sometimes a strange word to some. We think of landscaping when you talk about hedges, um, and you come into into Christian circles, and it's kind of Christianese a little bit when people talk about a hedge of protection. But literally, that that is a something, right? A protective hedge or barrier that can exist around your life. If you've ever read uh, the story about the guy in the Bible named Job, his name looks like it's Job, but it's I learned in church it's not Job, it's Job. Uh, And what happened with Job is Satan had come after him. He had set his heart upon him for a long time because he was rich and righteous, right? You get rich and righteous together and you have influence. That's why the Lord wants those things in our lives too. We can influence the world. But Satan had set his heart on him. But Satan came before the Lord and said, I can't touch him because you've got this hedge around him. You've got this protective shield around him. And so Satan's efforts were to legally get that hedge removed. And he was successful in that for a short period of time. Not all the way down, but most of the way down where he could attack him. All right. Now we have so, much, have such, so many more greater advantages than Job had. Like a new covenant and like the name of Jesus and the word of God. Uh, nevertheless, the principle of it still works the same way. I want to make sure and live my life with that protective shield up at all times. Yeah, The force field, the hedge, whatever you want to call it. That shield, the angel surrounding me at all times. I don't want to do anything to keep that down. And so when I look at these promises, I see God's part and then I see my part. And I'm not speaking of this from a, from a works standpoint. Almost like I have to earn God's protection. That's not true either. Okay, Uh, we don't earn his blessings, we don't earn his protection, those are given to us by grace, but there is still an activating part of all of this that we must be a part of. And, And if you're not sure about that, again, I go to this, look around. Christians are being hit. People that God loves, people that are ending up in heaven are having tragedies happen in their life and... And it doesn't mean they're bad people. We have already covered that. But it just means somehow trouble got to them. And we want to make sure it doesn't happen to us. Okay? And so we see these. So I want to focus in on this place called secret. Sometimes individuals ask, where is the secret place? Because if it's, sounds like a pretty nice place. Because you're totally safe there. But where is it? Now, how many know we can't answer that question directly? I cannot give you a map to the secret place. 
If that were possible, we would have to tear this Bible, this page out of the Bible, because it would no longer be secret. And that would invalidate this verse. So you know for a fact, no one has ever been able to give someone else a map to that place. Everybody with me? However, we can talk about it. And I can give you some, um, some helps, some instructions to where you can find it. Now, you won't be able to lead anyone else there. <laughs> you won't be able to take anyone else. But we can't have a discussion about this place called secret. And the reason why it's kind of a mystery, the reason why it's kind of hard to fully expound on and explain completely is because only those who are on the inside know about it. I want you to know that in the world there are insiders and there are outsiders. I don't want to be on the outside because when I'm on the outside I don't know things. When I'm on the inside I got access to information, to perks and benefits. And I'm telling you to know God personally, to have a relationship with Him that is second to none and alive and thriving and doing well has a lot of benefits. And I would encourage you to get this on your own. Uh, But there are insiders and outsiders. And again, I think about the world we live in. I, I read Scripture and I look at those who are close to the Lord, who walked tight with Him. Um... For example, the Apostle Paul, if you read over in Acts chapter 27, he was persecuted and so he was going to trial in Rome and they put him on a ship to get him there. But before the ship left, the scripture says that Paul said, I perceive that this voyage is going to have much danger. This is going to be a bad trip and He wasn't making his own decisions at that point. He was under their control. And he told them about it. And and they said, they looked outside and looked at the weather and said, no, we think we're good, Paul. Thanks anyway. But it's very interesting. Paul didn't have a weather app and he saw the clouds coming and the storm coming. He just perceived it. I don't mean God told him. I don't mean he had some spectacular experience. But he was going into trouble and he knew it. And I think if Paul knew when he was about to go into trouble, I should know if I'm about to go into trouble. I have the same Holy Spirit. I have the same guide, the same Father who loves me. So do you. And you should know. Say, well, some people don't know. You're right. I don't want to be one of them. I don't have to be one of them. I can be one that knows. You can be one that knows. We shouldn't take this street today. We shouldn't take this trip. We shouldn't get on this ship. We, we, we shouldn't go here. Why? Well, I don't know exactly. I just perceive that this is going to be a lot of trouble if we do. This is part of the covenant, you guys. So I want to make sure I'm one of those who are on the inside. I have inside information. Not on the outside, oblivious to what's going on and all the harm and all the danger in this world. I want to be the, on the inside so I can hear what he's saying. All right, look at Matthew chapter 13, and let's talk a little bit about secrets. Now, this is just between us today, right? We can talk openly. Don't tell anyone what I'm sharing with you. Obviously, I'm kidding. Matthew chapter 13, and, and, and Jesus had been teaching... And I want to pick up here in in verse 10. 
It reads, And the disciples came to him, came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Notice the language there. This is the master speaking. To you, but not to them. I'm giving it to you. I'm not giving it to them. Why are you talking in parables, Lord? They don't understand you. I know. That's why I'm doing it. I don't want them to understand me. But I want you to understand. Everybody okay? See, there are insiders. There are outsiders. It goes on to say in verse 12, For whoever, whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. See, that doesn't sound fair at all. But this is how the kingdom of God works. Those who are on the inside get special treatment, special information, special access, special revelations. My goal is to be one of those people. Yeah, I don't want to be left out thinking, ah, parable, wow, what did that mean? I don't know. I want to be on the inside where I get everything explained to me. Everybody with me? Now, Jesus used this word here in verse 11. It has been given to you to know the mysteries. Mysteries. That's an interesting uh, word he chose to use. Looking this particular Greek word up, it has an interesting background. Okay? I could give you the word. I probably mispronounce it, but uh, mysterion. And from Vine's Concordance, Vine's Dictionary of Greek Words, it, it, it explains it this way. Among the ancient Greeks, the mysteries were religious rites and ceremonies practiced by secret societies into which anyone who so desired might be received. Those who were initiated into these mysteries became possessors of certain knowledge, which was not imparted to the uninitiated. And they were called the perfected. So when Jesus used this language of mysteries, they had this concept. That means you have to be on the inside. You have to be an insider. You have to be a part of the club. Think of like a, uh, a sorority. Uh, once you're initiated in, you have access to all the perks, all the benefits. You learn the secret handshake. You get the passcode. You are an insider. And once you're in, everything's available. But if you're not in, there's just certain things we're not going to talk about. Certain things I can't discuss with you. Everybody with me? Does that sound like anything we're a part of? Say, is it Life Church? Are we a secret society? <laughs> now watch. The kingdom of God is. It doesn't mean it's closed off to people. It's open to everyone. Anyone can join. Anyone can be a part of it. But until you are, you will not get it. You will not understand it. You will not fully benefit from all the perks and, and enjoy the things, the blessings that come with it. You just have to get in. On the outside, you might look in and say, I don't get it. I don't understand what all these people are doing. I don't understand why, why they do this. And they lift their hands into the air and they give their money and they, they serve. They do all these things. I don't even understand that. Of course you don't. You're on the outside. 
I could try to explain it to you. You wouldn't get it. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, we quote this verse often. He said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When a person is spiritually dead, their eyes are blinded. They do not have the ability to perceive and understand certain kingdom realities, kingdom of heaven realities. Once you're born again, your spirit becomes alive and you're on the inside. And now you see and know and understand and you have access to amazing perks and benefits of God's family. So being born again is not just saved, it's alive. It's becoming alive. It's being, being given eyes, spiritual eyes, to see and perceive amazing realities. Yeah. But there are insiders. There are outsiders. There are, uh, these, these are just realities. See, we have access to the Father through Jesus. Remember Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And so, so this is how we get into the club into the kingdom, into the the secret stuff, into the place that it's hard to even tell someone fully about until they're in as well, right? But we, we get in through Jesus, so when we're born again, we can see the kingdom of God. But I want to move beyond that, because even once someone has the handshake and the passcode, they've been granted access, it doesn't necessarily mean that Everyone who can does. It doesn't mean that everyone who has been given these perks is utilizing them. Even in Jesus' day, in his earthly ministry, you remember there were different groups of people. There were those closer to him than others. And some of that was logistical. He was, he's, he was not omnipresent while he was on the earth or omniscient. He was Jesus confined to one body, one place at one time. But you read about groups like there were 70 that he commissioned to go out. 70 that were going out in his name. There were the 12, the 12 disciples or apostles. There were within the 12, three individuals that seemed to have greater access to Jesus than the rest of them. Yeah? Peter, James, and even within the three, there was one of them who named himself the one whom Jesus loves. That was John, right? And so it's like you can be closer or further away from the Lord and still before him. You can be in the family of God, be going to heaven, and have a, you know, a relationship that might be at different levels. My goal is to be close. So I get access to more stuff. Remember that day Jesus went on uh, up on the mountain? It's, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Who got to go with him there? Peter, James, and John. And when he left, he said, don't tell anyone about this. You can tell them later on. Don't tell anyone about this for now. It's just between us. And he, remember they go up on the mountain and Jesus lights up. Like a bright shining light, the glory of God manifests. And there's Moses and Elijah, and they're talking, and the Father's speaking. And, uh, and Peter's a little bit, you know, out of it, saying, let's build tents, right? And, uh, but they're having this amazing encounter, this amazing experience with God. Not all of them got that. 
but the ones who were close to him did. And so what happens in our relationship with God? We're in the covenant. We're in the club. We, we, we've been initiated into the kingdom. We've been born again. We have access to everything. There are those who will walk close with the Lord. And in their relationship with him, they will get access to more information. He will talk to them. What happens when the Lord speaks to you? Here's one of the things that happens. Faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Whenever he reveals, shows, unveils, pulls the, you know, the curtain back from, for something in your life, your faith goes up. What happens when your faith goes up? I tell you, mountains move, de- demons flee. I tell you, prayers are easy. It just makes everything better. I'm telling you, everything is better in a relationship with God that is just like that. And the closer I get, the more perks I enjoy. And I'm not talking about, again, earning my way to his blessings. We all have access to everything, but this is how you utilize it. This is how you get to it. This is how Psalm 91 becomes a reality to us. Mark chapter 4, same conversation. Put this up on the screen. Verse 33. And, And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. To who? Notice he didn't explain all things to everybody. So that's not very nice. How come he didn't explain it to everybody? They weren't in. They were still out. I want to be one of the ones that Jesus explains things to. Lord, don't just tell me the nice little story. Tell me what it means. Don't just give me a dream that's all mysterious. Tell me what it means. Let me understand and have revelation. So to those on the inside or those in a close relationship, they get answers. They hear things that others don't hear. Say, why why doesn't God just speak to everyone? It's not about that. It's not about that. It's if, if you're way over there, and I'm not amplified with a microphone, if what, I, what I have to say, it's going to be received by those who are near me. If you're way over there, you, maybe you'll get part of it. Maybe you pick up on a few things. But if you want to get all of it, what should you do? Come closer. Come closer so you can hear the message. Everybody okay? Matthew 13 again. Matthew 13 and verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And without a parable he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Notice again, the Lord speaks much about things that are secret. There's a secret place. There's secret information. But it's being revealed. Amen. So the things that are kept secret are still kept secret from most. Just not those in the relationship. When you join the club by confessing Jesus as Lord, you access the mysteries. You will begin to understand things previously unknown. Amen. Now, again... Am I in the secret place because I'm saved? 
because I've made Jesus my Lord and Savior? Am I in the secret place? No. Many saved people do not enjoy the protections of Psalm 91. However, everyone does get access to it. The question is, what will you do with it? What will you do with your access? You're all access pass. You can go anywhere and do anything and see everything. You have full access to the kingdom of God. Will you utilize it? What will you do with it? Amen. All right, now now look at Ephesians. I want to show you one more thing, and, and this, will, uh, this will help tremendously. Ephesians chapter 3. See, it's one of the things that people struggle with in understanding Scripture sometimes is, is these outstanding, amazing statements are made. These promises are made, and they're clear. They're, they're not about my interpretation. You don't have to interpret it. They're just written so clear you can just read it and say, wow, that's amazing. But it doesn't seem like that's reality. It doesn't seem like that's reality in my life or someone else's life who is also a Christian. And they struggle with that. And this is the answer. This is how all this works. God was faithful to do His part. But is there any part of the equation that I should be involved in? In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul was writing here. Now, this letter called Ephesians, which means what? There was a church, believers, that lived in the city of Ephesus. Okay? This is pre-denominations and all that nonsense. Did I say that out loud? I don't mean that people are nonsense. I mean that structure is not ideal. Now I have to clarify. People are going to go out of here saying all kinds of things that I said that I didn't say. I didn't say we're against them or anti or anything like that. We're for all believers. All one body. Amen. I'm just saying, when they said Ephesus... That was all the believers that lived in Ephesus. Ephesians. So these are Christians he's talking to. Not the world. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That seems a little bit like a strange prayer right there. He's praying for Christians who we sometimes will define it this way. I have Jesus in my heart. And he is praying for Christians who have Jesus in their heart. That Jesus would dwell in their hearts by faith. Wouldn't you say, Paul, no, 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 no. We're already saved over here in Ephesus. Jesus is already living in us. Don't bother with that prayer. Pray something else. Apparently, it's possible for someone to be born again and yet not in their daily life have Christ dwelling in their heart by faith. In other words, we could say they are living by sight. And if their day is going well, God is with them. And if things are falling apart, they're praying the Lord would show up. They're asking the Lord, where did he go? You know, they're praying, Lord, be with me. <laughs> they need to know that Christ should dwell. That's permanent. Dwell there by faith. How, how many know if, if you um, 
got, jumped in your car. Every time you jumped in your car, you looked over in the passenger seat and there was a nine-foot angel sitting there. There And you, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm here to protect you. I said, cool, we're driving some curvy roads today. <laughs> and we're going fast. Right. If he, we could see him there, that angel there, it wouldn't be an issue of reminding. We wouldn't be saying, okay, Father, I just pray you'll be with me on my trip today. No, we would be like, boom, thank you, Lord. Huh? But because we don't, People gravitate towards this mentality. They allow these thoughts to exist that God potentially is not there. That Jesus isn't always present with me. So Paul said, listen, you guys, I'm praying that you would get this. That Christ would literally dwell, not visit, not, you know, show up once in a while, but dwell in your hearts by faith. Independent of physical sensations. Independent of seeing or hearing and having physical evidence that he's there. I just believe it. Does this apply to Psalm 91? Totally. Having access to the secret place and dwelling there by faith are two different things. Amen, amen. See, in the Old Testament, they accessed this secret place through their covenant. Their covenant promises. We've been seriously upgraded. We take Psalm 91 and now it comes after the cross of Christ. His blood has been shed on our behalf. We've been given access to the very throne of grace by which we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have all the perks and benefits of God's amazing grace. Yeah? We access this through a better covenant established upon better promises. But listen to the words of Jesus. You know it well, Psalm, uh, John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. Is that the norm for all believers? No. Can it be? Can be. Is that works? No. It's relational. I abide in Him. I live in Him. I believe He's with me at all times. I take His Word seriously. I'm close. He speaks and I get it. I abide in Him. And I get whatever I pray for. That's the potential of every one of our lives. That's the way God designed it. It's not earning it. It's utilizing it. It's using the relationship. It's dwelling in that place. That He and I are the only one who know how to get there. So where is it? find it yourself you have access through Jesus you can walk with him closely or you can stay at a distance but I tell you there are perks to to staying tight if you ever wonder about scriptures or promises or the Lord working things a certain way and you say I don't understand why he did it that way one thing that often helps is to think relational Think about the relationship. That's often an answer to why it was done a certain way. In other words, God's primary desire and goal and plan is not just to have a bunch of people who will get together weekly or people who will do certain things and not do other things, follow a set of rules. That's not his his desire. His desire is, is a relationship. His desire is fellowship with us. That's the, that's, it's kind of the kicker in this whole equation. 
dwelling in the secret place has to do with your personal relationship with Him. Yes, covenant rights. Yes, the legalities of His promise. But then it is, it is activated through personal fellowship with Him. That's why I, I say sometimes, uh, I can't tell you where the secret place is. You find it. It's your relationship with God. Some relationships in life are this way. We, can, we, we understand this. You go back to the Garden of Eden. He walked with man in the cool of the day. That's what he wanted out. He didn't want to create someone who would just do a bunch of things for him. I'm going to create myself a workforce. No. He only gave him one rule. You know, uh, he wanted to talk with him. He wants to talk with you. He wants to talk with me. That's what activates our covenant promises. It's, it's kind of like how the Scripture tells us over in Hebrews that the marriage bed is undefiled. Meaning, there's something holy, there's something special about the marriage bed. Meaning, what happens between a husband and wife in the marriage bed is exclusive it's none of anyone else's business. No one else should be invited into that bed. Right? It's, that is the exclusive relationship. We all have other kinds of relationships. But with that one, how many know some things between a husband and wife are just between them? And you shouldn't even ask them about it. Because that's what? That's none of your business. And if you invite someone else into that part of the relationship, good luck with that. You're going to have a lot of trouble on your hands. There is a part of our walk in relationship with the Lord that is that way. It's just between me and Him. And no one else can come. Tell me what He said. None of your business. Now, there are other parts that are other people's business. He is our Lord. He can be our friend. He can, he can be our shepherd, our guide, different things to us. But He's also our spouse, married to Him. And in that relationship, I tell you, that's where we get stuff that other people don't get. It's spending time with Him in that, in, in that close proximity that not everyone is willing to do. Everybody okay? I see in this passage the qualifiers of all the protection, that salvation, that's easy, get you in, you're into the club. That faith and love and knowledge were listed there in Psalm 91. But we are to receive the Lord and then walk with Him daily. It's, it's about a covenant relationship with Him. David had a relationship with the Father that involved fellowship. Live in that place that only you and He know about. Where is it? Between you and Him. Will the Lord do this for me? I don't know. Why don't you talk to Him about it? You know, there are times when we pray for one another. You pray for me. I pray for you. That's a biblical thing. And there's another time when don't interrupt my prayer with the Lord. (laughs) This doesn't involve you. He wants that relationship with all of us. We used to sing a song years ago. Uh, It went like this. Uh, Lord, I want to know you. 
In my heart there is a fire. Every morning when I wake up, it's you that I desire. Just to know your heartbeat is what I long for. Oh, Lord, I want to know you more. And then there was a, one of the verses went like this. I come to this place that no one knows but me and you. The more I come, the more I want to know the heart of you. And as I get to know your heart, <laughs> then my desires become as yours. It sparks a flame inside of me till all I want is more. Amen. I tell you, some of this, I like to, I love to teach and proclaim principles, biblical laws, spiritual laws, all that kind of stuff. But none of that was designed to exist outside of a relationship with him that is second to none. And that requires time and fellowship and spending time with him. That's when things come alive. That's when he whispers and tells you secrets. And sometimes those secrets are the key to everything. How did Paul know this trip is about to be dangerous? He spent time in the secret place. Where was it? Find it. It's a place that no one knows but you and him. Amen. Father, I thank you for working in our hearts today.